Bem-vindos to one more episode of the Type Theory for All podcast. As always, this is your host, Pedro Abreu. And today, Dan joins me to talk with Andrew Marmaduke, a PhD candidate from the University of Iowa who works under Aaron Stump and has been working on Sedu 2. In this conversation, we talk about math, foundations, design choices behind Sedu and what made him change his mind and start working on Sedu 2. Before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind you guys that we now have a Discord and you can find the link to join us on our website, typetheoryforall.com. We also accept donations and contributions of any amount through our Ko-Fi platform. Monthly subscribers have the exclusive perk of watching the recordings live. So go to our website today, typetheoryforall.com and become a subscriber. With that out of the way, let's get into this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to one more episode of the Type Theory for All podcast. As always, this is your host, Pedro Abreu. And today with me, I have Dan is back to co-host this episode. Welcome to the show, Dan Pryukan. Did I get this right this time? No, no, not <laughs> even close, but I'm happy to be here. I'm Dan. Teach me again. One more time. How'd you say it? Plukan. Plukan. Yeah. Why do you have a Y over there if you, if you don't say it? I did. I, it wasn't my job to add that. <laughs> So tell me, man. So you graduated, you finished your PhD. Um, well, like I, I passed my dissertation. I mean, my defense. And now I'm, you know, doing the, the final finishing touches. But so, yeah, I'm close to being Dr. Dan, the garbage man working on garbage collection. <laughs> that is a great, great title. I, so what? Mm -hmm. I really hate that title. I don't know why I'm propagating, why I'm giving this fuel to people. But <laughs> That's it. That's it. It's, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna stuck now. It's gonna get stuck now. Okay. So what's, what's ahead? Um, I'm now a, a postdoc uh, for the University of Southern Denmark, working with Fabrizio Montesi. Um, specifically, uh, we're working on a choreographic programming, and I'm kind of bringing some of my experience with actors into that, uh, into that domain. I'm really pretty excited about that. We have some projects lined up. If they can get through the damn publication pipeline, we'll, we'll see about that. But, <laughs> yeah. That's really exciting. Congratulations again. Well, thanks a lot. And with us, we also have our, our guest today, Andrew Marmaduke. How are you, man? Hey, what's up? I'm just here, you know, so you're in, in my in, bud. <laughs> you're in Ooh. Iowa City? Yep. Hey, you, you remember my name. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, maybe, maybe even Dan doesn't know this one, but do you, do you want to know the story? Do you want to tell that story? Do you want me to tell a story? Okay, I mean, I can if you want. Go it's for really it. really funny to me, but I don't know if you would enjoy it. I think it's, it's hilarious. It okay, just shows so, how much of a dick I actually am. Think, people might think that I'm a cool guy, but I'm actually a dick. So. Well, I mean, you're still a cool guy because we're still friends, clearly, right? So it's, that's not the problem. The problem is that, if anything, you're just an originator of funny stories, <laughs> right? That's your... <laughs> okay, go for it. Yeah, so um, when did Pedro and I first meet? Uh, you know, actually, we were visiting Purdue before either of us had accepted a PhD program. I don't know if you had already accepted Purdue at that point, but I had not. Uh, and we met there. First time meeting. Pedro's as energetic as, you know, you imagine him to be or, or he has when you talk to him. And so he, he comes up to me after we've kind of done our visit day and he's like, 
oh my god i love you guys we should be friends let's be facebook friends he sends me a facebook friend invite i'm like yeah okay this guy's great i'll you know facebook friend pedro yeah i remember you <laughs> um and then so i decided to go to, to iowa because i want to work on sadil and, and you go to purdue because you want to work with you know whatever you want to work with there um and then fast forward a couple of years, we meet either I it was the MW LPS first or or the Aaron's summer thing first. I forget you. One I of think these it was things summer happened. Thing. I think, I think we met thing. at you came for a summer. Yeah. To work with Aaron, and then you just completely had no idea who I was. I had no idea. And completely I was like, blank. we're Facebook. You wanted us to be Facebook <laughs> friends, and apparently that was that evidence, that paper trail. Was enough for you to be like, oh, <laughs> I guess. No, we're... that's the thing. I, I opened my Facebook and I, I'm like, there's no way I'm friends with this guy. I've never seen him in my life. And he's like, no, just just search Andrew Marmaduke. And then I, I do it. And to my surprise, he's there. <laughs> I'm like, dude, no, 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 no. He just hacked me or some shit. <laughs> there's no way. Yeah, Andrew actually incepted in, into your mind and then he planted that Facebook friend. Yeah. So that he could get onto the podcast eventually. That was his whole plan. Yeah. Yes. This, that this was... is the only reason that we're friends right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you knew. You already knew. You already knew. But um, no, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a joke ever since. I think, I think, I think we actually met on, on some other thing in between, right? The, the, the summer school and then later I went there. Yeah, you were right. But um, yeah, I was really surprised that I actually knew you, but because my mind, I had no idea. But that's that's the thing. That's how much of a dick I am. I, I can seem a nice person, but I'm just oblivious. Anyways, we're not here to talk about me and and my and my dickhead. We are here to talk about Sadil. So let's 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 zoom back a little bit. For those who doesn't know, Aaron Stump, you 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 still work with Aaron Stump, right? Like he's yeah. our advisor. Yeah. Formally, he's not he's not there in Iowa anymore. What's what's the deal? Uh, yeah, so he's um, he's in I forget which I think it's Bo I honestly don't remember I think it's Boston, but for a, a little bit like a year, um, because his wife got like a, a pretty prestigious postdoc, um, so but he's um, teaching remotely, advising remotely for for that for this year. So he's coming back to get you graduated. I mean, he can he can get me graduated remotely. That's fine, but he, okay, he, okay, gotcha. he may or may not be coming back. I don't know. It's, I mean, it okay. really just depends, right? I think it's okay, kind of okay. up in here at the moment. What are your next plans? When do you plan to graduate? Yeah, so the current plan is to graduate next semester, maybe summer if things go really. So you're writing already? Awry. Writing your thesis? Yeah, yeah. I'm Dissertation. fleshing out Dissertation. the proofs, writing a thesis right now. All right. Um, that's the plan. All right. We'll see. Okay. Okay. Are, you, are you teaching again this semester? You're teaching this summer? I, no, I was in an, an, an internship this summer. I was a TA this semester. I only, I only taught, I taught, or was the instructor, sole responsibility instructor for algorithms a while ago. But since then, I've just been a TA. I saw, I, I, I saw somewhere. I think I opened your website sometime because I was trying yeah. to find your email to find your invite, which was really hard. So um, you don't want to be found apparently, but. I found I found something and I I saw that you have some background in competitive programming. Yeah, that's man, that's many moons ago at this point. <laughs> We're getting old, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Back when I was at the University of Akron, I uh, was a volunteer coach 
for their competitive programming team because I was also I was also on the team when I was at University of Akron. Um, and I mean, we never we never like went to Worlds or anything, but we always punched way higher than we had any business nice. doing, right? Because we were competing against the likes of like CMU and Waterloo. Ooh, um, yeah, so that's big basically, deal. basically first, you know, and CMU was in five teams, right? So the first five places, I don't know the question, never happened. <laughs> I actually uh, never, I actually never, never asked you this, but what's your story that you got into into programming languages and type theory? Yeah, because I started as applied math. You're um, a math student. Yeah, I was applied math, and this is a very corny story, but I'll go ahead and tell you. I um, discovered a bug. And my, one of my, cause, uh, sorry, this story is so long ago that I had to like <laughs> process it from, right. yeah. <laughs> from the hard disk and like load it up in the cache. It's like, what happened again? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So I, there was a bug in my thesis, right? In fact, it was a bug in like the way I did a derivative or something. So I was like, I had this like thing where I was doing coarse grained carbon nanotubes and I had a bug where my carbon nanotubes could only bend to 90, 90 degrees. They couldn't bend the, any further than that. It was like a, a mathematical block. Uh, and that was really annoying. So I had like an existential crisis as a young master student. And I was like, man, how can I never make this mistake again? And then I wandered into a book and happened to pick up Gerard's The Blind Spot, which is like more a philosophy book than it is anything else. Um, and if you've ever read Gerard's writing, you'll learn very quickly that he's a very opinionated person and you probably either love or hate him very quickly uh but i liked it <laughs> so i read the blind spot and like learned all about system f and prologue and all these things i was like wow and then and then vavatsky was around at the time so i started watching him and he was talking about like the same thing and so at that point i was like man i really need to shift and stop and stop doing applied mathematics and like differential equations and do logic instead uh but what ends up happening is that in the math world, absolutely no one cares about logic in the slightest. Right, it's true. Not it's at all. It's true. So, yeah. yeah, so you, I had to do computer science instead. It's, it, it went extremely out of fashion to think about foundations after foundations was, was kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like... I mean, maybe it's changing because of lean, right? Because of math lit, but mm, back maybe, then, no maybe. one cared. But still... Lean is not really great to talk about foundations either because it threw everything away to do math, right? But still, it brings kind of like the discussion back into the table, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm a logical pluralist, right? I don't think there's a, I don't think there's one true logic. So there's room in the world for many, in my opinion. But There's room also. in the world for many logics. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay. You know, there is this logic that is... What's the name? Para para consistent logic. That is the weirdest shit I've ever seen in my life, right? Because really I don't care. No, no, no. I, it's it's weird because I don't understand. I have no idea what's going on. But you technically you you don't care about about consistency, right? In a way. Not in the same way. Yeah. So you right? allow some contradictions without throwing out the whole kitchen sink. Usually is the idea. Yeah, uh, yeah. But basically, usually what happens is that your negation doesn't never behaves like the negation you expect, which is fine because that doesn't happen in <laughs> intuitionistic logic anyway, right? We don't have a solution. <laughs> right. They don't care know. about that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the negation can be a little funny. That's fine. 
Oh, Dan, you have a look in your face that you're completely lost right now. What's in your mind? No, I'm, I'm getting, following along. I, uh, my advisor's advisor, actually, um, after he became an emeritus, became, got really into paraconsistent logic, and he started publishing, I, re just releasing drafts of papers in like Microsoft Word with uh, a whole bunch <laughs> of stuff about paraconsistency. And I didn't understand right, yeah, any yeah. of it. I, I, I talked to him at one point about it, and he was like, you know, this is a real big issue. And I was like, I'm, I'm working on garbage collection. I don't know anything about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, how about we shift gears now and start talking about Sadil 2? Yeah, okay, maybe well, let's tell the Sadil story, I guess. So what is Sadil in the first place? Um, Sadil is basically this idea of looking at the existing state of, of proof assistance and the history of impredicativity, you know, in particular, impredicative sets, right? Because there's this distinction between impredicative propositions, which are types where you either consider it to be empty or it has a single inhabitant, like they're singleton, or impredicative sets where you think of it having like data in there, right? So a natural number is data, which is more than one thing. Uh, an impredicative quantification is basically saying I quantify over all the set of all things so that if you define a thing in there, I have actually quantified over that thing already. Like one, as an analogy, you you could think of like a paragraph that has a sentence in it that describes itself, right? For all sentences, this is the third in this paragraph. That's like an impredictive quantification. Um, so Sadil, the idea is like, okay, well, you know, People really don't like impredictive set. There's only one proof assistant right now, Cock, which uh, still has it. And it's basically <laughs> the prevailing wisdom is please don't use it. In fact, <laughs> we actually some someone in our group submitted a paper where they used impredictive set and a reviewer just got really mad. It's like, oh, yeah, that was a paper I was in. Set and yep. didn't mention it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think they did mention it. I don't, I don't know the full details, but they got pretty annoyed about that. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, Cock, the maintainers of Cock, I guess, don't really. Um, test that particular feature flag that much. Uh, so instead, Sadil says, you know what? Let's just hard commit <laughs> to impredictive set. Let's go full ham on that uh, against the prevailing wisdom that it's bad. And also, you know what? Let's use Lambda encodings instead of built-in inductive types. So the big problem with Lambda encodings is the prevailing wisdom first is that you couldn't have inductive types. At least in the you know in the calculus of construction, this is a proven fact, um, but it's not clear exactly what you would want to add or or how you would add it. That would be better than just stapling on like a natural number type. Um, and the second problem was lambda encodings were so called inefficient, right? So if you do a basic church encoding, then the predecessor function for the natural numbers takes a linear number of beta steps. You know, given you have to be really careful when you talk about efficiency when it comes to the Lambda calculus because, you know, what model <laughs> of reduction, right. mm -hmm. you know, are you talking about an abstract machine? Are you talking about call by name, call by value? But because you're talking about like a, a first, um, a basic natural number to natural number function, it doesn't matter too much, right? As long as we restrict ourselves to you know, not to that functions, predecessor is a, an O of N operation on church encodings, unless you do something really weird with your evaluator. Uh, of the lambda calculus right so there's these two big problems well this big problem of how do you get efficient inductive data um 
and these other design choices of, well, we're just going to use lambda coatings and we're going to use impredictive quantification to do it. So that's like the motivation way back when, you know, like, I don't know, six years at this point in the past. Uh, and so how it was accomplished. And okay, I'm going to give you my perspective on things here because um, I, I don't know if Aaron would necessarily agree with this perspective, but hey, I'm here. I'm here talking. So it's going to be fine. So from my perspective, what CDL really does to accomplish this is it kind of separates proof from object. And object here is not object and object oriented programming. Really, I'm just talking about if you have studied first order logic in any detail, uh, whenever they start talking about quantification, they always introduce, okay, so we have some domain of individuals and you can quantify over that thing, whatever the individuals are. And then there's so much ink spilt in philosophy over that domain. It's like, does it include fantasy creatures? Does it include Sherlock Holmes? Does it include every possible world? Blah, 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 blah. Right? So there's a lot of ink spilt on what that domain is. But in dependent type theory, that domain implicitly has always been the set of proofs of the type, right? Right. When you do Martin Love type theory and you add dependent types and you do a dependent type over the natural numbers, the only thing that you're talking about is the proofs of those natural numbers. Um, and so in my mind, the real thing that's happening in steel, the real like interesting idea is that you split it. You say, no, no, no. My domain of quantification is not proofs anymore. Right? I still care about proofs. Proofs are still important um, for deciding that a thing is an inhabitant of a type. But each proof can get projected into this domain of objects. And when I construct a dependent type, I'm quantifying over the set of objects now, not the set of proofs. All right, you know, set, when I say set, you know, these can be theoretically not sets, but for simplicity, we'll call them sets. Um, so for instance, the natural numbers, uh, you may have to do a lot of kind of types stuff to get the natural numbers put together. But when you take its erasure, when you take its projection into the object, it's just a lambda term. That's all it is. And now, so that, because, you know, when you're doing dependent type theory, you have to talk about convertibility between proofs. Now objects, you're just talking about convertibility between Lambda terms. So you can have like a bunch of type information disappear. Um, and so that's where these things like erased arrows become important because they get erased, right? They're only in the proof. They're not in the object. That's where dependent intersections become important, which is really a kind of object refinement. I mean, dependent, it's an intersection because you're intersecting the sets of objects. So it's a perfectly good name, but uh, it's you it's it can be a little confusing because you're not actually pr producing like an intersection in in the standard sense that you would say in the literature but you know if you take a dependent intersection of two types what you're saying is they're different proofs but they're the same object that's all you're that's all you're really saying at the end of the day and then you have to have some notion of equality and this is where uh i think sadil kind of took went a little too crazy in my opinion uh, but Sadil 1 says, like, okay, okay, well, if objects are, you know, all we care about, then our equality will just be over objects, no type information at all, uh, and then we'll have rewriting and all these things uh, relative to that. So it's like a very primitive notion, like built-in primitive notion of, of equality, which gives you the ability to reason equationally, and then those three pieces plus calculus of constructions is enough to derive a lot of crazy stuff in nested inductive 
data, index, inductive data, inductive, inductive data, you know. So that built-in notion of equality is kind of problematic because it's like too precise that you can only say that this thing is the same as this thing if they beta reduce to the exact same term. Like you can't do like homotopy type theory or something like that. What's your what's your beef with equality and yeah city? yeah so yeah that's you're you're right on track in fact but it's much worse um, <laughs> than that than not being able to do homotopy type theory because even if you kind of fix it homotopy type theory is still out of the question but your exact um, insight there of that it's too precise is because it, it makes function extensionality um, impossible in fact it makes the system anti function extensionality right you can prove that function extensionality is in fact not a theorem. So you wouldn't be able to prove that insertion sort is the same as merge sort, for example. No, you, yeah, you, it's it's out of the question. You can't even add function extensionality as an axiom. I mean, you could still like create. You could still theoretically prove it, I guess, right? Because you could you could add some predicate relation that encodes the idea and then prove it relative to that relation, but you can't prove it relative to the built-in equality. Uh, mm. And the way you may well, why not? Why not just have that relation then? You know, uh, maybe this built-in equality is some very precise notion of equality. I guess I don't know. Are you saying why not replace the built-in equality with that relation, or why not no? Just I'm, use I'm saying, um, what's the big deal if you can introduce your own relation that gives you the equality that you want? Uh, why why not do that? Ah, well, this I mean, now you're getting to the in the so called <clears throat> setoid hell space of things. Oh, okay. That's a technical term, you know, setoid hell. Um, so, like, the problem is that the built in equality, equality kind of is like viral, right? And this isn't just because we had a pandemic a couple of years ago that I'm going to start introducing <laughs> <laughs> virality analogies. But equality is viral because you, ha you want the substitution property, right? If P of A holds, A is, a is equal to B, then P of B better hold. So that means that equality effectively is touching everything, right? It, it has enough impact everywhere because you have to have this kind of um, substitution property. Or at least you, you really want it, obviously, or else it's really not an equality, right? You, you'd be a very impoverished thing if, it, if you didn't have this uh, ability. And when you postulate your own relation, now you have to prove that all of these predicates respect the relation in order to get the substitution property, right? So you kind of, everywhere you're proving that Predicates are respecting the relation instead of just having it for free. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. So let's summarize this uh, to make sure that everybody's on track, all the listeners are on track. So you've got this uh, proof assistant sedil that has been built. I'm, I'm, I'm not a type theorist. I'm going to misuse so much terminology here. Yeah, no, but fine. I don't care. The, the direction that you were going, there were three things that you mentioned. You were talking about going all in on impredicativity. Then you were talking about going all in on lambda encodings in order to get rid of these... Um, like additional inductive data types, which I think um, were like a, a hairy thing to deal with. And the last thing is this hairy notion of equality. Um, that's, wait, that's, that's, I'm, I'm starting to confuse what Sedil did compared to everything else versus what you're trying to do with Sedil 2. Because you're probably still buying in on the, uh, uh, on the lambda encodings and stuff with Sedil 2, right? Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I haven't even really talked about Sedil 2 at this point. It's really just only been the Sedil 1, I guess we'll call it. Or well, let's Steel make sure that we're all on the same page because Pedro has been making the exact same face this entire <laughs> this entire point when we were talking about Sedil. I was wondering if he 
uh, wanted no, no, to I, stay I, on that. I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy to to do a wrap up. Like, let's let's make sure that that we got we got everything here that we're talking about to do. So, so what are what are the things here that makes it just a deal? We have this dependent intersection, right? Yep. And in the for and dependent intersection is talking. How how did you describe it again? There are two. You have two objects that they are the same, but um, their implementation are different, or their proofs are different. Is something along those lines? Yeah. So I, here's a here's maybe another way of thinking about it. So in Cydial, every term has an erasure, which just takes the term and makes and constructs an untyped lambda calculus term. Dependent intersection really at the end of the day is a dependent pair, except the erasures of the first and second component have to be equal. Right. And then there is you must have this notion of equality in order for you to talk about about what it means to ha to have this independent intersection to begin with. And the equality in this case is a very is a very synthetic syntactic equality. How, how how what exactly does equality looks like? I mean, yeah, it's it's literally just you you give it two terms and that's it and it just says okay, are there erasures the same, and it's a propositional equality, of course, right? So you still have rewriting. You can still prove propositional equality, just like you would in any any equality you see in, in any other proof assistant. The only major difference is that it's untyped, right? It's over the erasures okay. only. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, so I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to make sure that I get right the notion of equality here because equality is super hard, and there are different a few different ways to define equality. For example, there is Leibniz equality, right? There are some different notions, so. And since it's been a while, I I hacked around with Sadu. I used to do some some work there as well. But if I, yeah, like it's it's a very syntactic right? Like you just look at the lambda terms, and they have to like really match something along those lines, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it, it's honestly important to kind of fully understand this point because in when we do get to Sadil too, the equality is the very thing that changes. Um, right. Oh, okay. Or, yeah. 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 Nice. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. So it. it if you want to prove, here's so here's some kind of funny consequences of Sedil's equality. Suppose you encode list and natural number. You can do this in a way so where nil, the nil constructor for list, and zero, the zero constructor for nat, have the same erasure. Which means you can prove internally that nil is equal to zero. Right, right, yeah. Right? So And now, when whenever you have these predicates, right, you can say you can have a predicate over lists. But because equality doesn't care about types at all, right? Theoretically, zero holds in that predicate too. Right, so P does this really lead to inconsistency? No, actually, well? no. Surprisingly, not. At least in so it's just a weird consistent system where <laughs> lists are the same as numbers. No, not I mean, not this. Just you know, just zero and nil, right? Because cons is different yeah. from successor. Well, it kind of reminds me of uh, set theory, right? Where you have the exact same encoding problem. This set yeah. is represented the exact same way. Yeah. That's yeah, interesting. That's, yep. It's not a problem. Yeah. I see it more as a feature, right? Because you you can write the same program for lists and, and or parts of lists and parts of, of, of natural numbers, right? Like the same program that holds for Neo will automatically, for free, also holds for, for zero, right? Things like that. Yeah, this is a great point of contention is it a feature or is it a bug Sadil <laughs> would obviously say it's a feature and we still want right. something like that in Sadil too right so this 
gets to a certain point about inductive data types, right? Because some people will say inductive data types really aren't that complicated. Just staple the, the darn thing on. You know, it's not that bad. Every proof of system does it. Uh, and I have a lot of sympathy from that perspective. But the, there's like more to not building in inductive data types than just not having to implement them in your core checker. And one aspect of that is you get to explore different kinds of inductive data types, right? You get to explore different ways of, of putting them together. So one... Just one addendum that, before you continue. People who say that it's it's trivial to put the inductive data types inside your languages because never implemented them and doesn't know how hairy the meta theory actually gets, you know, especially when you're talking about elimination, you know, like pattern matching and things like that. It's tricky. It is tricky. There's a lot of ongoing research on that on that field, especially because you have no idea how equality actually actually behaves, right? <laughs> things like that. Yeah. But anyways, go on, please. Yeah. Well, I mean, so even even if we give them the you know the idea that it, it is not that tricky or at least not as tricky as in predictivity um you get to experiment and so one experiment we discovered with you know this this kind of enco encoding bug or as we like to think of it as a feature is that you can set up your inductive data types to where they um interact and build up very nicely right so you can do this kind of data types a la carte stuff where you say okay i'm just gonna have a label for the zero constructor and a label for the cons constructor. And I will piece them together using a dependent intersection, actually. Right. And then I could add another constructor later on. And I'll have a cast from the first one to the next one. So like the, the prototypical example I like to use is you can build up the natural numbers with zero and successor. Then you can add a predecessor constructor. And then you can cast from the nat to the int. Because they share the same... Um, shape, if you want to call it that, of constructors, right? Because you have they they are encoded in such a precise way that the objects end up being exactly the same. And maybe you don't like this, maybe you really don't like the encoding problem, but at the very least, this demonstrates to other systems, hey, you could have this as your inductive data types, and you just, you know, stay. You could staple on an inductive data types that have these principles because we know that you can model it in Seville. Yeah. One, one one thing that I that I was gonna say is that I, I thought I thought it was I thought it was funny that you that you compare this work with with uh, data types a la carte because in a sense what you're doing is like there 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 is something more principled more fundamental that data types a la carte itself also also breaths from, right? And that's where you guys are going for doing the Cedil things, which are the, the, the lambda encodings itself, right? So the, for those who are not familiar with data types a la carte, it's really going back to the thing of, of breaking down your data types back to this notion of some, some more fundamental encoding, right? And there we have the cat. And <laughs> she got really and, mad at you. Whatever you said, I don't know. Man. Walk it back. Doesn't 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 like some some encodings over there, lambda encodings <laughs> and things like that. So my point my point being is that um, the, the the sort of things that is being implemented in in Cedil is exactly this notion of going back to this more principled fundamental notion of lambda encoding that you don't even need to to have these the data types in your in your language to begin with, right? And then from there, there are some interesting properties that, that you'll be able to derive from, especially you're talking in particular about casting, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, are this we... is kind of the tagline of Sadil, okay. um, which is, you know, Sadil is, is all about finding as many complicated ways to type the identity function as possible. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> I like that. So then, um, did you? Did we? Did he answer your question? Are we? Are we being able to to follow things? I'm using you to give us a track if if things are getting too abstract here. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm definitely the lowest common denominator on this case. But I, so I've uh, lost track of the thread of where we were going. So we so far we've been talking mostly about Sadil, and then we were talking a little bit about Sadil too, in terms of this new notion of equality. Is that right? No, I mean we really haven't talked about Sadil too at all. Um, this is all Sadil. All right. So what what made you to be like, fuck Sadil, let's go Sadil too. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I really like Sadil, um, but I do think that the equality that was picked was a mistake. So the idea was, can we f change the equality in particular so that we can get strong normalization back, right? Because one of the biggest issues with Sadil is that you lose strong normalization, you lose normalization, period, right? So you can have non-terminating terms. Um, always in a inconsistent context. Right, so that's why it doesn't mess with consistency. You have to have faults in your context in order to get this non-termination. But uh, funnily enough, sorry, I have to talk about this little side note. Exact same problem happens in Lean. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, maybe maybe it's really not that big of a deal. But you know, here we are. Um, so wait, what's the problem exactly again? So if you're in in in, in Lean, because they have this um, proof irrelevant. Um, Equality type, and this may be lean three. I don't actually know. If, I because there are so many leans. I don't know if this <laughs> happens in lean four. I, I believe it still does because they have casts in lean four. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but because they have this kind of proof irrelevant equality eliminator, where it, you actually don't talk about the input equality. Uh, there's this paper by by Cockwind and someone else, maybe a Bell. Sorry, if I, sorry, I forgot your name. That showed Andrew um, Bell probably. Yeah, that showed that you can derive non-terminating terms if you have like false or if you have some um false equivalent proposition hypothesized so yeah so but lean is consistent it has a, a pretty in my opinion straight edge model in set theory like the, there's no problems there very seems consistent to me um but you know and well also Lean, no one, when people worry lean, no one cares. Right? Yep. And it was a very similar experience in Sadil. Like, oh, we're non terminating, never, never mattered in, in our experience. <laughs> um, but all that being said, it still is an interesting question of can, is the non termination Sadil really necessary to kind of accomplish the goals it does accomplish? Uh, and so the, the way that I went about fixing this. To spoil the question is, I don't think it is necessary at all. The way I went about fixing this is to say, okay, remove the equality as it is. Just get it out of there. Uh, and let's just plop in Martin Law's standard identity type and see how far we can get. Right? Where does the where does the initial construction that we've always been doing, where does that fall apart? And it turns out it falls apart basically at three spots. The first is the indices. They have to be erased. Fine. Okay, we'll modify the Martin law of identity type so that the indices are erased. No big deal. What, what indices? 
Uh, for, so for the identity type, it has a type parameter and then two indices, uh, the, right. the left-hand and left-hand side and the right-hand side of the equation. Mm-hmm. Right, so that when you're specifying the identity type, those inputs have to be an erased error, right? Uh, uh, they can't be used okay. relevantly in the term. Right, so they're not going to show up in erasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to erase indices. You also have to erase the input to REFL. And this is like a very, there's a very interesting consequence of this happening or like making this decision, right? Because if you think about homotopy type theory for a second, what is it, or at least th- this is my perspective of what it's saying. You have a REFL constructor and it takes an input. Well, if you kind of squint, that's a function space, right? REFL is a function that takes an input. So you have a function space worth of room to do stuff. That's why you can't just say REFL is a constant. And also why you can fit in a lot of information in there, i.e. homotopy type theory, because you have enough wiggle room to do a lot of stuff. But if you make the argument erased, then when you erase it, REFL can only be a constant, right? There's yep. no room for it to be you anything else. Everything out, yep. Right? So what, what's, ha- what happened? What's that argument? Sorry. Sorry, what's the argument of REFL? Uh, so if REFL is typed at um, A equals A, Right, so the uh, argument will be a. It basically okay. proves any. It, it proves a trivial equality given a particular input. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. But then, what is it a proof of? Oh, it's a proof of any a equals a. Yeah. So for right? yeah okay. for any for any one particular guy, you can prove that you have reflexivity for that that guy. That and term. and okay. turns out that's pretty much all you need for equality. When you use equality in cog, for example, that's what you're doing. Yeah, that's the mm. which the is only very surprising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But right, but in uh, so this is what we call propositional equality. But um, it doesn't have what are it has indices? You were talking this this in this case it doesn't right. This this data type there are no indices because that would be heterogeneous equality, which is not what we we're talking about, right? No, no. So. Even, so if you like write down the identity type in Cock, mm-hmm. what do you do? You say, okay, I have a parameter A, which is a type. Right. Yeah. And then I take an... I mean, there are a lot of ways of doing this, but right, right. the typical way is you say, I have another parameter, the left-hand side, which is of type A, and then I have one index, right, eta, eta star, and that index is the right-hand side, and then my constructor raffle is, give me an A, and then it's it A. Or you know, and sorry, in Cock you have to write the parameters too. I think so. Right. It, yeah. A, so a, you a. have you have the parameter a, but then the index is something of this a, right? Like it's an element element of this a. Yeah, it and it's all it's equivalent mm-hmm. to make both left hand side and right hand side also like, but make them both indices. That's uh, the same as making just the right hand side an index. Uh, okay, okay, I can go with that. So what's the problem with that? Yeah. So if you if you don't make these things indices. Then when you do like induction, right? Because you, we've added the Martin Love identity type, so we have the J rule, we have induction. What happens is the indices show up in the erased term, and that means that the objects don't match. Uh, and so that you know, because we're doing Sedil, we want the objects to match. We're doing very precise encoding, so you just erase them. And it's also kind of like the least, in my opinion, problematic thing because we, when we're compiling functional programs we're already erasing indices anyway right when you compile the vector type you just erase the natural number that's encoding its length right that's a, it's a known fact that you can erase that thing and it's not going to cause any problems 
let, let me back us up for a second. Why? What does equality have to do with non-termination? You. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> unfortunately, this is a bit technical. But what what ends up happening is, let me try to let me try to first explain it via analogy. If you have an equality, if you posit an equality that is just bogus, like true equals false, uh, and then you use it. You're using it clearly in a context that is uh, inconsistent because you've posited a, a bogus equality. But if you use it in a way to where that equality term gets erased or is like not is like irrelevant somehow, then its lack of evidence will not block certain reductions that it would have blocked otherwise. Right? It's act, it acts almost like a gatekeeper of saying, okay, well. I can turn this type into that type and you can do this application and that application, but only if you tell me that this equality actually holds, right? So it's like this little gatekeeper, but if it, it disappears, then all of a sudden you just, boop, you know, you have the term and you can like build Delta pretty trivially mm -hmm. and from Delta build Omega, like almost immediately. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah. So I am reading the, this Cochran paper, um, Maybe I should actually look look for that, but I'll have Pedro put it. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. I can give Pedro work. Yeah, yeah. I'll have I'll find <laughs> it for you, and you can put it in the after meeting notes so people can look at it. Um, but yeah, it's like you know, it's it's just like techni little technical construction that says that if you get to ignore quality proofs, then you get to build delta, and you're off to the resources after that. I think there, I think there is one more one more thing that is in my mind right now that we didn't talk about that I think should should be mentioned for Sedil, which which is that of um, extrinsic what's the name extrinsic typing oh this Curry style versus Church style or right. extrinsic versus intrinsic is that, right 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 like that that makes a lot of difference when we're talking about intersection types and this, all this notion of equality because that only makes sense in the notion of extrinsic. Uh, typing right yeah so here's the thing i don't think that's even true right uh, i no? think that was kind of a red herring in my opinion huh. okay. uh because sedil too is very church style <laughs> you know give, give like, a brief overview of what's what that means yeah okay so let's do intrinsic extrinsic because i really yeah. i personally don't like using people's names to, to name important <laughs> stuff there are too many so, there, there are already a lot of things that use church or or curry name like why one more right <laughs> come on yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> so the the extrinsic style is is the idea that you just have a you have a programming language in this case the lambda calculus, and types are added as annotations, uh, but they're not really part of the language. They're just annotations. Maybe in your when you're express like writing the language down, you'll write the annotations just so you have decidable type inference or whatever. But at the end of the day, the language is the thing underneath. It's the erasure. It's the untyped lambda calculus. Right, so you can see now why Sadil is like kind of following this philosophy, clear, like obviously, because that's you know under the hood. That's kind of the idea. Is that uh, you know the objects are really the untyped lambda calculus, and it's it's not the proofs. On the other side of the spectrum is intrinsic, which says no, 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 the types are integral. They are they are what makes the term meaningful in a certain sense. Right, if you don't have the types. You don't understand what that term really means. Uh, and this is more a proof theory perspective, right? So if you want to say that you have a proof of a thing, 
you have to have all the type information, all the indice information, all this extra information so that you can always reconstruct the type from the proof, right? This is uh, an important philosophical point of what is a proof. And most people would seem to agree that you don't have a proof if the proof doesn't, you know, have enough information to encode that it is a proof of a given type, right? So you have to have all that information in there. Um, is that enough or do you need, or should I give you a little bit more to understand? That's with Dan. It, it made sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So the, the reason why I think this is just a bit of a red herring and Sadil is because uh, you can you can do all the intrinsic stuff. You, you can still do all of that. The only extra thing you add is that there's a projection to a new space of objects. And convertibility of your proofs is relative to objects, but that doesn't mean you lose the proof. You still have the proof. It, you're just saying that, oh, my proofs have this extra st structure where they can become objects if needed. And you're also saying that my quantification domain is over objects, not proofs, because I don't particularly care about quantifying over proofs. They're just, you know, that part's not super interesting to me. Which is why, you know, which is why it's like now it becomes the, the dependent intersection, which was like this very interesting kind of crazy extrinsically viewed object. It really, it's really just a dependent pair, right? At the end of the day, it just becomes a very standard dependent pair with this extra side condition that the objects are the same. Very not... Uh, crazy at all but that's the thing you can only do this side condition if you're not tied for the notion that in order for it to have an, even have the term you need the types right so you can only do this comparison if you d ignore the types in this case right no not, no you can no. do the exact same thing in, in any church system yeah okay right? you okay. just say that they're convertible that doesn't mean you might not be able to inhabit it with anything interesting right it might be like a very boring type uh but you can absolutely state it you, do you need do you need extra steps to do that in a church system though? No. Oh, well, I mean, no? okay. If if you're taking the way that I've constructed Cedil two, absolutely not. No, it's like okay. Very... Okay, go on. Mm -hmm. So Cedil two is still extrinsic. Cedil two is intrinsic. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In my in my opinion, I mean, there again, there is this kind of like extra step that you are you, you include erasure, and convertibility is relative to erasure. Um, but in my opinion, it's an intrinsic theory. Okay. Okay. Now let's, let's then talk about the differences. Yeah. So the, the main difference is equality, right? Equality gets removed from Cedil 1 and we add on Martin Law of Equality. Or we start, with Mar we try to start with Martin Law of Equality for Cedil 2. And as we discussed, okay, well, that doesn't quite work. We have to make the indices erased. Okay. And we also have to make the input to re reflex reflexivity erased. So is uh, Martin Love equality the same thing as propositional equality? It is the thing that when you postulate it in Cock, it's it's the very type right. you're thinking of, yeah. E EQ and with raffle and Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So in, in you when you're talking about like Martin Love things, you usually say that the the word identity. So yeah, that's identity. I can have the same the same idea as identity and EQ being kind of like we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so yeah, it's Martin Law's identity type. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I guess, where was I? I was talking about like this interesting thing about reflexivity, where you make the argument erased, and what happens there, the reflex reflexivity has to be a constant, 
which means uniqueness of identity proofs is internally provable. Which is like this big, you know, this is like the, the homotopy type theories bread and butter, is that in Morton Love type theory, you, you don't have uniqueness of identity proofs for free, or you can't prove it internally. So you get to take this other road. Uh, so in Sadil, it's like, um, it ends up being integral, right? At the end of the day, uniqueness of identity proofs is kind of integral to Sadil and what, and what it does and what it accomplishes. Uh, maybe you could do some kind of homotopy type theory stuff using the same ideas, but it's definitely not happening in the system as it's currently stated. So a quick reminder, like what, what, what is the impact of having uniqueness of identity proofs in Sadil 2? Yeah, so it means that whenever you have two proofs of identity at the same time, uh, they are necessarily equal themselves. Mm -hmm. But what, is that, what does that imply? What's the greater implication of that? Or it's just like a metatheoric radical uh, implication? Uh, I mean, so the, um, the downside of things is you can't, you can't have univalence. Um, on the upside of things, pattern matching becomes easier. Though I think the Agda, Agda people have done like a good job of making pattern matching still work in cubicle um on an upside one upside which happens in Sadil, is because you have ui ui i'm going to call it uip you need some identity proofs you know construction of an inductive types becomes pretty straightforward because you're just constructing the set you're not constructing this giant hierarchy of of stuff oh you're referring to universes there no no right when you construct oh. a inductive type in homotopy type theory the type's not really a set. It's really like an, an infinity group void, right? You have oh, like all yeah, these yeah. You, can, you have to somehow capture all these coherence conditions in your... Oh, yeah. Right, 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 right. Uh, which there is a paper that, that does do this, also using impredicativity. Uh, but, yeah, I don't. I didn't read the, pa re the paper in detail, so I don't know how they end up dealing with coherence conditions. They probably just add a quotient type. That's my guess. But so does this set, save us from that setoid hell issue that we had at the start? Or how does this relate to that? This new equality? Well, because this equality is built in and you have the substitution property, right? So you still have PA, A equal B, PB. You're not going to be dealing with setoid hell relative to that. Also, because the equality is tight, and so it's not as precise, function extensionality, I believe, this is an open question, but I believe, is something you could postulate and use, right? So you know, you're no longer in this situation where the system says function extensionality is not is not a theorem. You no longer have the nat equals, uh, or zero equals empty list, right? You actually can, oh. but you have to go through an intermediate type, right? You have to say, uh -huh. okay, nat and list, they have to cast to some shared type so I can express the equality at that type. Okay. It seems to me that the reason for this is because we're, we're back in intrinsic style, right? Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Right, the Sadil's equality, I mean, even even Sadil's original equality, right, could have been expressed intrinsically, right? You could have just yeah, said it could. a top type or, or something. But that, but that yeah, I feel, I feel like originally that's that's kind of a selling point, right? Because then you, you get all these casts for free exactly because you don't, they're under underlying the same term right yeah that's 100 that was the the philosophy behind it and arguably this like guiding principle is why sadil exists at all so we shouldn't uh, 
be too harsh on the extrinsic view of things. <laughs> I think I think it's almost unfair to call Sadio Chu Sadio Chu then. Well, I mean, so it's <laughs> yeah, no, this is a fair point. What makes a deal to a Sadil if you want to if you want to argue that? And right. there's this like there's this critical property that needs to be proven, in my opinion, for it to be a true Sadil, which is that it, you have when you have convertibility, you say A is convertible to B. If in order for it to be a real Sadil, that has to be equivalent to saying that the erasure of B equivalent to erasure. Oh, sorry, the erasure of A equivalent to erasure of B. You have to be able to take the erasure first, uh, and that be the that give you the same answer as you taking the erasure last. Mm-hmm. Right, because that is like the that is the core of what's happening in Sadil, really. At the end of the day, is that object equality is enough. It's enough. <laughs> <laughs> one thing, one thing that I th- I'm not sure if it was clear. Um, we were talking. There were some points that there was some time ago that that Dan raised the the issue of soundness. So. Just to, to be sure, so Sadil, is it sound or not? What do you mean by, do you mean consistent? Or what do you mean by sound? Sound relative consistent, to what Consistent, yes, model? right. Mm-hmm. Consistent. Yeah, so Sadil is consistent. It has a realizability model. There you go. Um, which is pretty similar to, you know, what Gerard would do with, with System F Omega. Right. And could you derive that for Sadil 2 as well? Well, Sadil 2 ends up being a subsystem of Sadil. Oh, yeah? Funnily enough. So you can just model in Sadil. <laughs> and boom, right. you have consistency. Interesting, interesting. Cool, cool, cool. Or maybe maybe subsystem is, is not exactly the right word, but you can easily model it to deal. Okay, so the big question is, where is it at in implementation-wise? Implementation-wise, I mean, nowhere, right? No? Right now, no I'm trying to, you know, I have drafts of pretty much all of the important proofs, and so the it, it's a matter of, like, getting those proofs in detail, Getting it so a committee agrees that those proofs are correct and graduating, basically. Right, that's where, that's where we're currently at. <laughs> screw, <laughs> screw implementation. Who needs implementation? Do we not need to use these things? Whatever. <laughs> yeah, go, there's, there's a current goalpost, and we have to reach that goalpost first. That's good. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. Right, right. Uh, but, but I've been trying to like exp- explain Sadil to you in a way to where like if, if you listen – if you understand, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's definitely strongly normalizing or what, you know, whatever. Right. That's why I try to express it like Sadil 2 is just an intrinsic type system. Dependent intersections are not scary. They're just dependent pairs with this extra side condition. You know, these kinds of Honestly, familiar explanations. Dependent pairs are scary enough. If, if, <laughs> if, you start, if you start actually looking at them, like when, when you look at from far away, you're like, okay, those are those cute things that are dual to for all quantifiers and all of that, right? Like, it's fine, it's fine. But once you sit down and try to understand what's actually going on and you're trying to prove things and use those, those things, they're, they're hard. It's not, I don't think it's true at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, okay, so here's the... Here's the there are some skeletons, right, that we haven't mentioned yet. And by skeletons, I mean actual scary constructs. So the the actual scary construct, which is also the reason for non-termination in Sedil, is, is the phi, the casting rule. Right? And so the casting rule in Sedil says if you have an equality from A to B and you have an A, then you can replace it with you can replace its erasure with the erasure of B. Which is basically J but for extrinsic things, right? It's like a, it's like this. It's inspired by New Pearl's like direct computation rules. Oh, interesting. Okay, um, that's kind of where we. It was. Um, 
stolen from in a way. And it's, you know, all great artists steal. So. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Nothing, uh, so nothing is created. Nothing is lost in science. Everything is stolen. <laughs> yeah. of course yes so but this principle is like actually pretty integral pretty important and so you have to like make it work in steel too without you know the whole goal is to not have it break the system and cause non-termination so how do you do that um and my current answer to this question is you think about it like you're caching the input so imagine you have a function from a to a intersect b that you know behaves ex uh, extensionally like the identity. So for every A, um, the first projection, so F of A taking the first projection of that is equal to A. So it behaves extensionally like the identity. Well, if you have that guy and you kind of like crack it open and look at what how it would be implemented on the inside, the idea is that you cache the input. So you take A, you cache it in some structure and then you take whatever the actual output is, B, right? So that's the actual thing you computed. And then you take the proof that it behaves like the identity, that B would be essentially equal to the input A. So it's a, it's sorry to say, like, it's, it's hard for me to break this down anymore because this is like the, the real meat, the real technical difficulty that's going on. Uh, but I can try to be more, try to give it an analogy if you, if you would like, because I, Saw Pedro's yeah. eyes glossing over there, so I know that it's not uh, going too well. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I have a hard time following what people are describing math in my head. It's hard for me. So think of it this way. Think of it as an analogy. You have some type, and really what you would like to say is that type is a canonical element of a quotient. right? So you have a fraction, you have one half, and really what you would like to say is that's just a quotient. I don't need to do anything. I can just... Treat it like a rational number already. I don't need to do any canonicalizing. Um, in Cock or something, you would have to, you would have to run it through the the canonizer regardless, right? Because there's no other way to kind of get it to the right type. You have to run it through the canonizer, and that could be an expensive operation. It could be linear in the size of the data, right? So that's not good. We don't want that. We want to just push it into the type. So the idea in Sedil is you say, okay, I will run the canonizer and also cache the A. So I'll do both of those things. And then I'll also keep over here as a third component a proof that A really was canonical all along. Ah, okay. So what, will, what happens is now if you're in so-called proof mode, if you're in the proof fragment of what's going on, I'll do reductions in the canonizer. Because that's the proof, right? That's the mm -hmm. evidence that I'm moving towards the quotient, moving towards rationals. But if at any point you move to the object land, then the erasure just takes the cached A. Because you know that the object of A and the object of B will be the same thing, so the cached A is enough. Right, so that's how you can like short-circuit, in some sense, the, uh, the computational operation to turn an, the order, and whatever, however expensive the canonizer is, and to just taking the A uh, and working with it. Right, so it's kind, of, it's kind of weird in a sense because you're like moving compiler optimization stuff into the type system. Like not all of it, obviously, but like some important stuff into the type system in order to not just get efficiency, but also to get, you know, 
to get this tagline of how many complicated ways can we type the identity function. And the phi rule is all about that. That's how you, that's where you get the complicated ways. So uh, I have to, I have to, I would be remiss if I didn't say this. There's one more complicated side condition to this thing, which is that the free variables of um, the canonized thing and the proof thing, those the free variables used in both of those proofs have to be a subset of the free variables of the thing you cached. Right, and this gets back to that inconsistent context stuff. Right, if they're basically it's what it's trying to say. If you think about it, almost like a Kripke frame. Uh, you know, or just like, you know, a graph of context is also fine. What it's trying to say is that, like, you can't be using more hypothesis, like a, a more or, or stronger hypothesis set than what you cached the input as. Because if you are, then those hypotheses could be erased. They can be thrown away. And that's no good. Right? We don't want that happening. So is this all stuff that, like, a Sedil 2 user would have to deal with, or is it handled internally? So, yeah, so the Sedil2 user, the only thing they would have to do for phi is uh, provide the cached element. It's like it's like writing a pair of three things. The cached element, the canonized function, and the, the quality proof. The free variable stuff is easily automatically checked. One thing I'd like to move this conversation to at, at some point, I don't know if we're still going to discuss this, but is like from a, a end user perspective, uh, summarizing like the difference between Sedil and Sedil 2 and also how Sedil 2 when it exists compares to these existing other uh, proof assistants from like a user perspective because I think like we've been very in the weeds so far and I'd like to kind of come up for air for a second but uh, if we're if we're still discussing this I, we can move that a little bit later yeah I'm, I'm perfectly fine moving on to more speculative stuff it's certainly more fun even for me. Yeah. So going from Sedil to Sedil 2, if I understood correctly, from a user perspective, you've got this brand new notion of equality that's you know more closer to the type of thing that we want to be working with. For example, you can have, you can more easily prove extensional equality of functions. And then there, there are also some like discussion of efficiency, which I guess would, would mean that proof checking is faster. Like if you actually run the thing, it will take up less cycles? Is that a good summary of the end user perspective on this stuff? Yeah, so it could be, right? This is this is the, you, you get to choose, right? So the, you could either, uh, the, the proof, uh, so the implementation, sorry, not the user, the implementation gets to choose, right? Because you could be in a situation where there are some meta variables, some like some unification variables in a proof that you don't want to erase because you if you had done some conversion or some you know you know when you get into an advanced implementation conversion checking becomes unification right i don't know if you're you maybe you guys are not aware of this but conversion checking becomes unification in any any serious implementation um so when you're doing unification you may want to actually dive into the left say the left hand side and the right hand side of a dependent intersection because to strictly check conversion you only have to do the left hand side you can completely ignore the right-hand side, but diving into the right-hand side may solve a unification variable for you, right? So you have this, this interesting choice where you could be faster or you could look for unification solutions. Uh, and, it, you know, at, at this point in time, I have, I have absolutely no idea how to implement that in a the best possible way for an end user, to be honest. But you, um, it is... It is uh, nice to mention that you could skip an entire 
entire like sets of terms. And it's also important because in Sedil, when you build up these encodings, you're like stacking intersections. So it would be quite a bit more expensive to check those things if you weren't able to ignore um, the refinements. Mm -hmm. Do you guys know like how big, so th this impacts basically the speed of proof checking ultimately at the end of the day, right? Yeah. What, so is that a, a big thing? Is that a big issue in the in the proof assistant community? Absolutely. The speed of Absolutely. proofs? Yeah. 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 So Andres Kovacs probably has done the most work in this space of like, how can you get an efficient, in the sense of proof checking, uh, dependent type theory implementation uh, with kind of like a, a modest amount of effort, right? So if you're like a one person, pers you know, one person developer team. Um. And it basically boils down to normalization by evaluation at the end of the day. Uh, there's like, there's, you know, just saying that there's like a giant branching structure of choices. But, you know, for the purposes of this discussion, it boils down to normalization by evaluation. That's like the, the way you want to go. And so will, will Sedil 2 be faster than the competition? Is, it, is this at the end of the day what we're trying to get towards? At least Sedil 2 can potentially be faster than Sedil 1. Yeah, well, unfortunately, being faster than Sedil 1 is a trivial thing to accomplish, <laughs> right? If you, just, if you just follow Andreas Kovacs' um, plan of action, you'll be really fast. Uh, in comparison to Steel One, I don't. Andrew Kodaks, I don't know him. What 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 does he work with? Uh, he just he's just like a, a PL person. I don't know. I don't know if he has like one particular like specialty. But I can here, okay. More work for Pedro. I'll I'll uh, we'll we'll. Are you familiar with Small TT? Actually, maybe this is a better right. Yes. Keyword. Right. Yes. So Andrew okay. Kovacs is responsible small for Small TT. Okay. Good. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but to your point, it's really it's it certainly would be an important avenue to the, to explore. Is can Sedil two be faster? But the problem is that the existing systems tend to have like these advanced abstract machines, like Hawk has VM compute, um, and it's not entirely clear to me that you will get many wins over that. I don't know. It's very hard to say at this point. Mm hmm. So yeah, I mean, like, what's the uh, future of what's Sedil three? You know, what, what, where are we going with this stuff? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I have a lot. So it's um, what's more interesting to me after Sedil two is like, you know, if Sedil two is hopefully becomes finished and I graduate, that'd be nice. Uh, so if that happens, it's more interesting to me what kind of constructions are possible in Sedil uh, two, right? Because that's that was basically my line of work through my entire history as a PhD student is what kind of things can you build in Sedil? Uh, and there's, I still have like a lot of them. It basically, I got to the point where I was like hitting the limits of the implementation system. So I was like, man, I have to implement my own thing. Cause this is really getting annoying. And then that led to like, Oh, I actually don't need that. Oh, I actually don't need that. And this can change. And then Sedil came about and here we are. Yeah. So there's probably not going to be a Sedil three. For the foreseeable future, sorry, is the short answer to this question. Uh huh. But uh, so there are things that are. Are we trying to get Sedil up to the the expressive potential of what Cock and and Lean and so on are able to do, or is it is are they disjoint? What is it? What's the Venn diagram? What do you mean by uh, are they what do you mean overlapping? By expression? 
you were, you were talking about expressivity, like what can I express in Sadil? And then you were running into challenges. It seems like uh, part of what you were trying to do was to make it, oh, trying to make it more expressive. No. Yeah. Okay. So there, are, I guess there, there are two kinds of expression here. There's like, does the system get in my way of just writing code? That kind of like expressive expression. In which case, to deal with one, you will run into those issues pretty significantly if you're trying to do advanced stuff. Uh, but you probably will also run into those issues in any proof assistant except Agda. Right? Try to, you know, go write a, a mutual inductive data type in lean and tell me how inducting over that goes for you. It's not going to go well. It's uh -huh. going to go pretty horribly. But if you do it in Agda, it's going to be a dream, right? It's going to be really nice. Um, so that there's that kind of expression. and But then there's like the kind of things I can construct. So in Lean, go try to make an inductive inductive data type. You can't. It's not possible. But in Agda, you can't, right? So Sadil is nice. Even Sadil 1 is nice in the sense that like it can, it seems to be able to construct just about anything Agda can, right? That's, you know, we still, there's still things to check. But it seems very expressive in the sense of like what theoretical fancy type things can you build this if is, you're willing to put in the effort this is an interesting question because i remember i remember i've also done some work on uh, on trying to push the boundaries of sedu and cock and see what what can you really express on those things and i came to the conclusion that there, there it comes a point where you really want to have induction recursion for example right yeah. so my question would be would that be po a possibility in Sadil 2, for example, how this hard is an open be? question, and and is, in fact, the very next question I was going to tackle before I got annoyed with the system and started implementing Sadil 2. So if you uh, yeah. if you build inductive, so there we have two things already. We have inductive inductive data in Sadil 1. Let's make a and pause have, and explain what are those things: inductive 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 recursion. Yeah. So okay. So what's first? Let's start with what's mutual inductive data. So this is the idea. Like you have even and odd, and some of odd's constructors can refer to even, and some of even's constructors can refer to odd, right? So they're kind of mutually defined. Inductive inductive data is an extension of mutual inductive data where you the types become ordered, and the second type can use the first type as an index. So what's an example of that? Uh, a list set, right? So you can think of a list and a predicate saying that all of the list's components are unique. Right, so the first, you know, the list has a parameter A, whatever, it has nil and cons, but then the second type, which you are mutually defining, takes list as an index and says, okay, well, the nil case is fine, right, that's unique. And if you were to add, if you were to do a cons, then that has to be unique to all the other elements, right? You have to have a proof that it's, it doesn't equal any of the other elements, right? So that isn't, that isn't ex like the, a simple example of an inductive inductive type. So inductive inductive doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily mutually recursive, mutually inductive. No, it is. It must be, yeah. Because it seems to me that the list doesn't necessarily mention the predicate, does it? No, it does, right? Because when you do a oh. cons, you basically say that the element of the cons satisfies the predicate, so that you don't, so you know that it's unique. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yeah. Um. And now mutually recursive, oh, inductive recursion. Yeah, so inductive recursion is, is like inductive inductive, except the predicate can be defined via recursion. Yeah. Right, that's, yeah. that's different. That's kind of like Instead can of be a function. Instead of inductive, you define it via recursion. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so in Sedil, this is like an interesting point because in order to do the recursive part, you need large eliminations. What is a large elimination? It's the idea that you can compute a type from a value. So you could like have, def you could compute some type via recursion on natural numbers. Um, but that's like very difficult to add to Sedil because you don't have built-in inductive data, right? You can't just like staple on the large elimination rule. How do you get it? It doesn't make, it's like very unclear. It was very unclear for a while. And if you look back at the history of Sedil, uh, a lot of the early systems just, they did just kind of add in a large elimination facility because it was like, it seemed impossible at the time, at least. But we now know that you can at least simulate large eliminations. And by simulate, we mean you don't get definitional equality of your function. So you can define some function via recursion, but it doesn't definitionally beta reduce. Instead, it casts. Right, so you could write some, you could write a, a function, say, over by pattern matching over natural numbers, where zero goes to true and anything else goes to false. Right, you typically use this to prove that zero is not equal to one or something of the, of the, of the like. Um, in cock or whatever, you just like apply the function on the left and the right via congruence or whatever, and it will automatically reduce to true and false, and you're, and you're good to go because true is not equal to false. Uh, but in Sedil, you apply the function, then you have to use a cast rule to actually like force the computation to move forward, right? So you you have to do extra work, but you can still get the same effect. This is why we call it simulated large eliminations instead of true large eliminations. Yeah. So the, the greater point is, how do you get induction inductive recursive types? Well, inductive inductive types in Sedil are just you know they're actually not that complicated at all. It just you just Use the same construction, but make it mutually recursive, which is kind of easy to do with impredictive quantification. But simulated, the simulated large elimination, how you define that is actually just an inductive type too. So if simulated large eliminations are just an inductive type, if you have inductive inductive types, sorry, if you have inductive inductive types and simulated large eliminations are inductive types, then if you plug in the inductively defined simulated large elimination to the predicate, you have a simulated inductive recursive type. The punch, the I'll just end with the punchline, where we don't have to kind of belabor this point. But I'm pretty confident that you can do inductive recursive types, simulated inductive recursive types in Sedil. That's right. just the punchline. So yeah, one thing one thing that I was that I was thinking of here is that I can see why, for example, Koch doesn't have inductive recursion data types because. Yeah, reasoning about the, that sort of stuff would be, it would get hairy very quick. You know, like actually using them in your proofs could be pretty weird. And also there is the question of how do I derive good induction principles for that sort of stuff? Yeah. There are some very interesting questions going on that is highly non-trivial, I think. So how do you deal with inductive properties in Sudo 2? Talking about this, since we're at this. What do you mean? Do you just mean like a, an index inductive type? Well. My point being is that okay, so let's let's go from from the beginning. We don't have a built-in notion of inductive data types. So when you have mm. inductive data types, one thing that you really want to do is induction, right? Which is basically um, it's it's recursion, right? You want to recurse over your data because your data is recursive, and you want to recurse over your data. Otherwise, you cannot do proper functions over them, right? And still, we don't actually have a built-in notion of of data types. Um, so there must be a strategy in Sedil in order for you to derive these inductive induction principles, right? 
So what did you learn from Sedil and how are you applying those those things into Sedil 2? And also, you know, like since there is this this funda somewhat fundamental difference between the encoding of your of your data, right? Right. Okay. So here's the here's the secret sauce. Every construction in Sedil is actually just a quotient type. There you go. So every every time we build an inductive data type, what do we do? First, we define an approximation, usually as a system F omega type. Uh, in our case, usually we start as a church encoder. And then we define a predicate to define the canonical elements, which just happens to be the induction principle. Yeah, that's or, that's a neat trick. I remember this. Yeah. So it comes almost for free, right? Relative to the you know the, the element you're canonizing, basically. Not in general. Right. Then you intersect them, which in, in my mind cannot look like anything but quotienting at this point. You quotient them. Uh, and then that type is sufficient to prove to prove the actual induction principle about. But you still have to derive them. First you do have to right? derive them. Um, so are, do you want to know like the steps, the actual steps to derive? You don't need to give me the, the proper steps, but a high level idea would be yeah, so the, nice. Basically, because it's an induction, because it's a quotient, you prove that um, you can, you, you first define the canonizer, which goes from the approximation to the full guy, the full type. You prove that the canonizer is essentially the identity. <laughs> so start starting to sound familiar with the firewall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then... That's enough. So when you define induction, you just use the canonizer with equality to like shift the, the type view in the right places. Right, uh, right. And then you can just, because the approximation has enough of its recursive content, right? It's, it's the same object. It's the same recursor. It has enough information that you just kind of use it. You know, with, you just say, oh, I have my zero case here. I'll plug that into the zero. I have my successor case here. I'll plug that into the successor. And then you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. Cool stuff, cool stuff. You're gonna say something then? You good? We're following still? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm sure our listeners are. This, okay, I'm gonna rant a little bit for a moment. Perfect. For some reason, a lot of times when I talk to, pe to people, even in computer science, they like they don't understand what a quotient type is. And it's like very frustrating to me. So because I, it ends I have, up I have like, a confession. I don't understand what a quotient type is. <laughs> you're not the only one. Yeah, you're not the only one. Uh, it's very frustrating to me because it's like integral to um, Sedil. And I also think it's integral to homotopy type theory. I'm pretty sure there's a paper out there somewhere that if you just add like the higher order quotient type and maybe like a few, like maybe the circle type or whatever, you get like all the higher inductive types. Right. So the quotient type is like pretty a pretty powerful concept. And it's also used in math literally all the time. In fact, you've interacted with it in high school math. It's called the rational numbers. Um, the rational numbers are a quotient type or a quotient set. If you want to be set theory. So this is my rant is that you, you people really should know what a quotient set is. God darn so it. What, like, okay. So what, what is that? Well, going? okay. Yeah. Like let's get <laughs> the sound bite. What's the tutorial for the one minute? Define, define, define. Uh, crash course of quotient define types. Define quotient, the quotient of the set of the, of the rational number. Yeah, so for the rationals, it's easy. First, you define the fractions as pairs of natural numbers. Okay, we have your pair. What do I do then with it? Then you define the canonizer, which produces the reduced form. Okay, right? so of, I, 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 pretty much, I pretty much get the, the, the denominator, the, the common denominator, the least. Well, yeah, the, the least, 
yeah, you you do you you Euclidean's extended algorithm to get the reduced form. Okay, okay, okay. And then the set of elements that are canonical is the quotient set. So it's canonical in to respect to this. Oh, it's it's quotient to respect to this canonical form. Yeah. So that's that's how you do it for the, for the rational numbers. A more general construction is you say, okay, give me any anything, give me any old type A, write an equivalence relation over that type, and then the quotient is the set of canonical elements relative to that equivalence relation. Right. Right. Or the type yeah. Of oh, that's so nice. That's so simple. It really is. Yeah. I, I think people do know it. They just forget, or they just no, so simple they don't know, bother to like piece it apart. You know what's the issue is that this this idea is it comes from algebra. So like in algebra, this is this is pretty pretty common. But it's something that we we've been losing in computer science. We are not studying that much of of math and algebra anymore. That's my feeling at least, right? I did I did this introduction to algebra course, but um, you know, we don't think in those terms. In many of those terms, it's, it's kind of like being lost, which is which is a it's, it's it's sad, I would say. I agree. We are, you should we are, learn we start... some algebra. Exactly. Idea. Yeah. 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 Like we are we are all all super hyped up. Let's talk about category theory, and we don't even know basic algebra. To be completely honest, you know, especially here in the US, we've been we've been going. You know, the part computer science departments are going too much into engineering these days, especially with this humongous rise of AI. And mm. kids are not, we're not teaching, you know, algebra or, or lo even logic is being kind of lost, you know, in, in, in some sense. But um, yeah, right. Yeah. But um, it's important. That's where all these ideas come from. That, that's where our, our field definitely was born from, right? It was in, in logic and then from math. So it was a good At explanation. Day, yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Learn your math, kids. Stay in school. <laughs> yeah no yeah i agree so so quotient types and well quotient sets is, is very interesting because then it's it's a really good way to to make partitions over your set right and talk about all these elements that in the end of the day you don't you don't care about their differences that's why you you carry around this um equivalence relation right they're they're equivalent with respect i mean everything is equivalent just respect with some equivalence relation of course but um, yeah, you're, you're partitioning your sets in all these different ways. And, and now when we bring this to, to, to type theory, dependent types and all of that, then it's a nice way to talk about different objects that at the, the end of the day, you don't care about their differences, right? Like you're collapsing uh, the structure in different forms, which can be very powerful. Yeah, thanks for that. Well. With that, I think we covered pretty much everything that we we had to cover. But um, is there anything else that you guys would like to bring to the table before we wrap it up? You're going to you're going to Midwest programming language summit, right? I will be there. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, for the viewers out there, go to your local stuff. Right. So why not? Yeah. You know, meet people, network. I I sent, I sent, I sent this this invitation, and we have a Discord now for the Type Three for All podcast, and and I sent an invitation inviting everyone to to come to the Midwest PL Summit, which will be there. You'll be there, right, Andrew? Yeah, I'll be giving Dan, a talk there. Dan is a sucker, and he will not be there. 
but that's okay. we we are also planning to do some some gatherings in Chicago in the Chicago area in the near future. So keep tuned for that. Right then, we are right. Mm -hmm. We are right. Yeah, thinking about okay, it. Okay, good, good. Well, so if we don't have any else, anything else to to talk about, that was a big pleasure to have you guys here. Thank you so much, Andrew, to come and share your knowledge with us. Thank you, Dan, Anytime. for for joining us as well. Yeah. <laughs> See you next time, I guess. See you. Bye bye. Oh, that was it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening until this point. If you liked what Andrew talked and you are a professor, he is currently looking for postdocs. So I'm leaving his email on the description of the show and please contact him. He is really cool. <laughs> Anyways, don't forget to join our Discord. Don't forget to donate in our Ko-Fi platform. Send us messages. We have an email, typetheorfrawl at gmail.com. Go to our website. We also have a comment section over there, typetheorfrawl.com. And I think that's it. I'll see you guys next episode. I think this is one of the most technical episodes I've done. <laughs> it got really right? technical, like, right yeah. away. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize you um, you did any work on Sadil. So this was like, uh, this is in your master's degree? Wait, do you do a master's degree? How does that work? It's It's something that I was working before doing the work on. So how, how it worked was that... Um, I was doing some parallel programming actually, reasoning about parallel programming my first semester, I think. And then I started, I went to Galois. Yeah, the first year was that. And then, then I went to Galois. And when I came back, I started talking with Ben and Ben sent me to Iowa to talk with, 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 with those guys, with Aaron. And we started contributing for another year more or less. And then because I was thinking so much about, about um, functional, about about pattern matching because it's a big it's a big deal in in Cedil, right because then you i mean pattern matching is a denominator of data types so Cedil, you your data types you know like it's kind of central to the discussion and so dealing with with pattern matching is also central to the discussion and i was trying to do some translation 
of Sedil Chukok, right? Cockadil. Uh, inside Cock, which was kind of fun. And then I found this this project on GitHub that was doing similar thing, but all camo to Cock. And I contacted them asking how they dealt with something that I was trying to do, which is pattern matching, like how to translate pattern matching properly. And they're like, we have no fucking clue. And I'm like, okay, let's me let's work together. And then I went there. And then that's how I ended up working with this other stuff. 